Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen, amen. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the fourth book. Uh, John chapter 19, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 12. As prophecy, the predictions of God are being fulfilled. And the, the greatest prediction of God being fulfilled before our eyes today is the horrific tragedy and the traumatic event of the torturous murder of Jesus Christ, an innocent man. And we see it played out here. Pick up with me in verse 12. If you weren't with us uh, in previous Bible studies, all these studies are on our app and on our website. And we've, we're in study number 96 of John's Gospel. So I don't expect you to catch up on all of them, but it's good to go back a few studies, catch up where we've been, because uh, we've studied each of the verses in all of the entirety of the Bible. And we left off in verse 11. Uh, and let's pick up in verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, speaking of Jesus, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew it's called Gabbatha. Now verse 14, it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. You like to write in your Bibles somewhere in the margin here? Write the word hypocrites. What hypocrites? What hypocrisy we see here. Unless we point the finger at them, we need to be very careful of hypocrisy in our lives. Because these guys are flat out lying. They're not telling the truth. They're not living in reality and authenticity. They're manipulating a weak, spineless leader to accomplish their own purposes. Let's just put it, you know, we read through the Bible and we may just read through and kind of make, make sure that the Bible is really sterile and clean. Let's just talk about what's happening here. We've got a group of religious leaders, which the equivalent today would be pastors, those that have been entrusted with speaking forth God's word and loving people and reaching the lost, people that you should trust, people that you should look to for spiritual help. That, that's who's here right now the spiritual leaders of the day, the ones that have been entrusted the scrolls, the Torah, the Old Testament, the ones that have been entrusted with service and ministry, the ones that you would want to rely on, the ones that you would look to, look to, the ones that you would listen to as they were teaching, these very people are manipulating the Roman government, leaders in the Roman government, manipulating through lies and deceit to murder a man who's completely innocent who has offended them, who's upset with them. He's upset, he's upset them. Because they had a good business going, taking advantage of people. They have no heart that's connected to God at all. They have the appearance, as it's described in the Bible, they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. 
So when Jesus comes on the scene, God in human flesh, you know, when you think of how much God loves us, he came to us, God did. Every religion, every religion in life requires you to work hard to get to God. But true relationship with the one and right, one and true God, God comes to you. And Jesus came, and what did he do? He loved, he cared, he served. He, he was accused of all kinds of horrible things. He, he was accused of being a person that hung out with sinners. You know why? Because he did. He was accused of being a wine-bibber. Why? Because he was hanging out with people that were doing that. He was looked down upon for reaching out to the very people that the religious rulers gave up on that those that were in religious power had turned their back on the hurting and on the poor and on the confused and on those that needed God the most. That's what's happening here. It would be a startling thing to read a headline of pastor after pastor doing something stupid, but yet that's, we do see that from time to time. And, and this is the worst of the worst. They're killing Jesus. They're murdering Jesus through the Roman government, and they're lying through their teeth. It doesn't take long to see that. A little bit of a search of history would tell you that the Jews of the day hated the Roman government. They hated the oppression of the Roman government. They hated the taxation of the Roman government. They hated the leaders. They hated Caesar because Caesar required them to be idolaters. And they would be required, if they wanted to be in good standing with, the, with Rome, to take a pinch of incense and bow down to an image of Caesar and pledge loyalty to that king. And yet here they are telling Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. And next to that, you can write next to it, liars. Because they did not seek Caesar as king. And they're lying. They're pulling out all the stops to influence the Roman government to murder Jesus. They've already made complaints about Pilate. Pilate's, his position in leadership is very tenuous because the next big uprising that he faces, they'll yank him out of his position of leadership. So here you got two people dealing with power struggles, and they're both hypocrites. And lest we point the finger, what is one of the major complaints of the church of Jesus Christ today? It's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I hear that all the time when I'm sharing with people. I hear it all the time. And in some cases, I have to say, you're right. I have been a hypocrite. I have lied. We all have, quite frankly. It's not just me. Lying is a big problem among Christians today. Saying one thing, that's what hypocrisy is. You know, from the original language, hypocrisy literally means being two-faced. Where you're one thing to one group and you're another thing to someone else. The world, you know, if you're in the world, they, they kind of describe that as talking out of both sides of your mouth. And lying is among us as a church. And I don't just mean our little church, but I mean the church. Lying is a problem. It's a sin. Lying is a devastating sin. It does great damage. It doesn't get much attention today because it's come into this category of acceptable sins. It's not so readily seen. 
You know, some sins, they could see them right out the door. You could see them right, but lying, you know, it's one of those things that we can do, and we can shade the truth a little bit, and we can manipulate, and it may not be as bold as these guys, but lying is a problem in the church, in our church. It touches all of us. A few years ago, a book came out. It was entitled, The Day America Told the Truth. And there's some amazing statistics in it. Here's a quote. Americans lie. They lie more than we ever thought possible before this study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. End quote. I thought that was funny because what if they lied about their lies, about their lies? How can you say that? But the statistics bear. The the statistics bear that our, our culture is a lying culture. Not willing to tell the truth. They told us just about everyone lies. 91% of us in America lie on a regular basis. The majority of us find it hard to go through the week without lying. And one in five cannot make it through a single day without lying. And we're talking about conscious, premeditated lies. When we refrain from lying, it is less often because we think it's wrong, only 45%. But it's a variety of other reasons why we choose not to lie. Fear of getting caught. It says, the study said we lied to just about everyone, but the better we know someone, the better we know someone, the more likely we are to tell them a serious lie. Serious lie. You know, I really hate it when Marie calls me on this, because she does. I'll be watching the news, and and I'll see something, and then I'll... Marie's over there cooking, so there's a little bit of noise. She can't hear the news. And I'll say something back to her. I'll I'll tell her something, kind of a modified version of the news story. And she'll say, is that true? And I'll say, no, I was just joking. And she says, stop lying to me. And I'll say, why don't you just keep cooking? No, I don't do that. I don't do that. She's got a frying pan in her hand. We don't do that. But what I call joking, God calls lying. And she's right. And that's why I hate it, because she's telling me the truth in love. Now, me and Marie, we go back, way back, 30-plus years. She knows, and she's not afraid to tell the truth in love, is what the Bible would call us to do. Lying is among us, church. God will not allow lying to go unpunished. Deceit divides the best of friends. Lying erodes trust. Deception destroys lives. And if there's anyone that should be known as being truthful and full of truth, it should be those that name the name of Jesus Christ. If there's anyone on the planet Earth that should be known as faithful and full of faith, it should be those that name the name of Jesus Christ. And instead, we have a bad reputation. Sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's not. If you've ever faced a a hypocritical Christian or a a Christian that's lying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if you did, you faced a real person. Because Christians aren't perfect. We don't immediately become perfect. Uh, The minute that we're saved, uh, the, the, the things that we struggle with in the past, a lot of times you carry them with you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry that a believer or a follower, someone that named the name of Christ, got in between you and the real Jesus who never lies and always tells the truth. 
Let me show you this in your Bibles. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is an important point that I don't want us to lose as we picture in our minds Jesus hanging from the cross. It was to the church, believers in Jesus Christ here in the city of Ephesus, in a book that we know as Ephesians, that that Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in verse 25 of chapter 4, he writes, Therefore, putting away, what does your Bible say? Lying. Lying. Church, put away your lying. That's what he says. He says that to the church in Ephesus, and he says that to us here today. Put away lying. Stop it. Each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're supposed to put away lying. We're supposed to stop. You know, sometimes people repeat the same lie over and over again to so many people that they actually deceive themselves into thinking their lies are really the truth. We lie in a lot of different ways. Of course, the most obvious is that we lie to other people and don't tell them the truth. You know, we might call that a white lie or we might call it a joke or we may not give the full, you know, we might withhold information. It's all lies. It's all lies. But there's a greater lie that happens far more. There's a greater lie. And that is when you lie to yourself. The Bible calls that self-deception. When you and I lie to ourselves. When we lie to ourselves about sin. Remember remember we first introduced to lies way back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden with a literal Adam and a literal Eve. The Bible describes the serpent coming, devil and the serpent coming to them and lying to them. They believe the lie which led to their disobedience of God. Imagine that. Before, before believing the lie, before deceiving themselves and believing the lie, they enjoyed God. They enjoyed the garden. They enjoyed everything about God. But when they believed the lie and disobeyed, the Bible says, the first the Bible describes them as walking with God in the cool of the garden. That's a fancy way of saying they enjoyed God. They enjoyed him. They enjoyed being with him and talking with him and they enjoyed everything about him and after after they disobeyed God and sin entered in it describes Adam and Eve as literally running away and trying to hide from God they had this instant revelation of their nakedness because they've been exposed for their sin and they take the fig leaves and they try to cover their private parts and they run away and hide from God but you learn that you can't run away from God You can run and you can run and you can run, but you won't run away from God. He will passionately and lovingly pursue you. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Remember it says, he he calls out and he says, where are you? That wasn't a question for God. Not they hid really good behind a rock and he couldn't find them. That wasn't it. The question was for them. As I'm asking you the question today, where are you? Who defines your life? Where do you find satisfaction? How have your sins been forgiven? So you're in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what he says. Therefore, this is verse 25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. It bears repeating, doesn't it? Speak truth. You aren't and I'm not to be known as one that lies. But it happens too much, just flat out lies. Small lies, big lies, white lies, purple lies, exaggerations, 
passive-aggressive deception, gossip, slander. It's all lies. This is such an important thing for us that God put it in the top 10. The top 10 things, if you reduced behavior down to 10 things in the Old Covenant, number nine on the list is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or don't lie. (laughs) That's it, don't lie. Don't lie. In a recent survey, the number one reason people gave for lying is that they fear offending someone. And yet out of the same mouth, they're afraid of telling the truth to offend someone, and yet out of the same mouth are gossip, backbiting, talking down on people, making fun of them. Jot it down in Proverbs chapter 6, in verse 16 it says, these six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination, and he says a proud look, a lying tongue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. John chapter 8, verse 43. Jesus is speaking and teaching us, and he says, Why don't you understand my speech? because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Imagine that, church. When we lie, we're just like the devil just like the devil. How's that for an encouraging word on a Sunday morning? But it is, isn't it? Because I'm speaking the truth in love. It's the truth. You and I, we need to go to the Lord. We need to come in prayer and present to him our lips. Present to him our thoughts. Because not only are you following along with the devil, and not only am I following along, but also with the people that crucified. This is how Jesus got to the cross. Of course, God is using it. But in the human realm, they're lying, manipulating, and taking advantage of Pilate's lack of a backbone. Now, some of you might be a little upset right now. You're like, wait a minute, Ed. You're drawing a line too close, man. I mean, I mean, seriously, when I lie, it doesn't hurt anybody. And there you would be wrong. Because I can give you a whole list of people that are hurt when you lie. Number one, when you lie, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. Because eventually you're going to be found out. If you're not found out right now, you're going to hurt, you're, you hurt yourself. You hurt your reputation. You, you, hurt, you erode a relationship. Now, now a person doesn't trust you anymore. You hurt yourself. Number two, you hurt the person you lied to. Because now they thought one thing about you and they trusted you and they relied upon you and now you've been found out to be a fraud and now you've gone to having to deal, they're having to deal with all those emotions and feelings. Why? Because you wouldn't tell the truth. Thirdly, you hurt God. It's a sin, every sin is a sin against God, first and foremost. Every one of them. And what happens is, is that's a further hurt, that's a further pain you bring into your life because when you sin against God, you separate yourself. You separate yourself. You know what happens to Christians that separate themselves? They just become very religious people. And what I mean by that is that there's no heart to your your relationship with God. You're just religious. 
Sometimes we call them churchgoers or, you know, you're, you're like this is, you're just kind of feeling like you're doing your duty instead of enjoying the garden. God wants you to enjoy. You know, fourthly, when you lie, you hurt the body of Christ. Because the Bible says in Ephesians, we're all members of one another. So when you lie, you bring a bad rap on our church, not just our church, but the church. You bring a bad rap on the Jesus who died for your sins and has never, God has never spoken a lie, ever. And then lastly, when you lie, you hurt your community because the very fabric of relationship in our communities is trust. Is trust. We're members of one another, connected friends, You might want to jot this down. Friends tell the truth. Enemies lie to one another. Chew on that one today, this afternoon. Just like, man, friends tell the truth. Friends tell the truth. And enemies lie to each other. Now, to those of you that might be, you know, wrestling with unknown things, like people don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're depressed today. Maybe you're discouraged Maybe you're wrestling with the reality of life and you might be watching online or listening on the radio. You're not even in a church today because you've isolated yourself because of the difficulties in life. You're in a very dangerous place because the the person that you talk to the most is yourself. And you get into a place where you're just thinking about the situation and the circumstances and you're talking to yourself and what you're saying to yourself is not very faith-building. You're allowing, as it's easy to do, the circumstances to weigh you down, to to make heavy, and so that what are you hearing from yourself? Oh, you're no good. You'll never be any good, and you'll never get out of this, and God isn't faithful, and he doesn't care, and I'm being punished for my past, and on and on, that self-talk. And those of us that are around you, and those of you that are around discouraged people, listen, you, you need to... You need to be open to the Holy Spirit to use you to come and tell them the truth. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, judging them and being all mad at them and you can't be sorry, you can't be sad. Those, that's, those, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Don't do that to anyone. But what you can do is come and put your arm around someone and say, hey man, I love you and God loves you right now. Yeah, but I don't feel God's love. Just tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth. You don't need to convince them. Definitely don't judge them. Just come on, put your arm around them. Hey, you know what? God loves you. He's faithful. I don't know how, but the Bible says that God works all things together for the good. And I know this isn't good right now, but you might be afraid to tell them the truth because you think they'll get all upset and offended, and they just might. But don't lie to them. That's not going to help them. Don't hold back from them. You know, if the Lord gives you a scripture, give them the scripture. I, I can't tell you how many times God will impress a scripture on me for someone and I'm looking at it and I go, I have no idea why I would share that. That's just, and, and you can hear heaven, I didn't ask you to understand, send the text. You know, I got just like, make the call, just share the scripture. I'm like, okay, Lord, okay, I don't need to understand. And how many times the Lord has just used it in someone's life to encourage and build up and lift up. And even when you're in that midst of your talking to yourself learn how you know just open a bible even in the worst part of your just keep a bible open read it not for understanding but read it desperately for the holy spirit to use it in your life because we can lie to ourselves far more than someone would lie to us and that just puts us in the same place because of our doubt and our unbelief 
You know, it's possible to be an unbelieving believer in seasons in our lives where we're just not believing the word. We're not trusting God at his word, but his word, as we'll see in a moment, always comes to pass. And that's what's happening back in John 19 now, this whole scene. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss this part of this manipulation and lying and deceit by people you would expect to be close to God. It's very unfortunate. So it says in verse 16 in John 19, he delivered them to them to be, he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. If you like to take notes, you like to write in your Bibles, right next to Golgotha, the Latin word is Calvary. And that's the origin of the name of our church. Speaks to the place of the cross, the place where your sins were forgiven. That's where, that's in the Hebrew, it's Golgotha, but in Latin, it's Calvary, where they crucified him, verse 18, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many, verse 20, of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, I mean, they just won't stop trying to control the whole thing. He says, don't write king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Finally, Pilate has a backbone, but it's too late. They want the sign changed because in their mind, he's not really a king. And and they they just want to manipulate the whole thing. And let me just speak, and it may be you, it may not be you, but just let let me speak. Manipulators will not succeed. Can I get an amen for that? If you're on the other end of some guy, somebody trying to manipulate, game playing with you, I I know it's hurting right now, I know it's hard right now, but they won't succeed. They just won't succeed. Jot it down, read Psalm 62 this afternoon. It looks like they're succeeding. They're probably gonna be so happy when they bury Jesus, but we know three days, it only took three days to prove him wrong. And Jesus died to save manipulators. Think of that. The people causing you great pain right now, Jesus died for. He loves them. (laughs) The people just lying about you or, I mean, Jesus is on the other end of all of this. They're just so caught up in themselves and yet Jesus is still gonna die for them because he loves them. Notice in verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic, and the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, for the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Notice in verse 24, don't miss that phrase, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture might be fulfilled. God fulfills his word. Here we see Jesus being crucified. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians because they believed that the earth was sacred. So then we're going to kill someone and punish them for their crime. They didn't want their their body on the ground. So they lifted him up and invented a real torturous way to kill someone. It was torturous what Jesus endured for you and me. But what the Persians invented, the Romans perfected it. And history tells us that about this time that the Romans had used it to kill 30,000 Jews. 
a tremendous genocide. Different historians describe it this way. Crucifixion is the most terrible and cruel death which man has ever devised for taking vengeance on his fellow man. Cicero called it the most cruel and horrible torture. Tacitus, the, the historian, called it a torture only fit for slaves. And what Persians invented, the Romans perfected. And they sent, it was one message and one message they wanted to send. Don't mess with Rome. And it was so bad that they kept it exclusively for rebels, runaway slaves, and the lowest type of criminal. It was so cruel that they didn't use it on Roman citizens. They would punish them a different way. And already, remember, back in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says that Jesus was scourged. That, that, that literally means he was violently beaten with two Roman guards on both sides of him, with sticks, with these long leather thongs, with... Uh, pieces of leather on it and and lead and rocks in it and they would full force beat the man and most people died under that beating and never ended up being crucified but Jesus endured that beating so much so that the Bible describes that his face was so messed up from the beating that you couldn't recognize him that's this Jesus that now is carrying his cross now don't think of him carrying a cross on his shoulder he most likely has the cross beam on his shoulders and the upright beam already was at the place of crucifixion and that the person was required to carry his cross beam, which was heavy, was heavy, about 100 pounds or so. And it was not clean and sanded down. It had large splinters. It was on his bloodied back. Remember, and that's when he received help from that man that came alongside to help him uh, and associate with Jesus. Isn't it great? Jesus associates with us as sinners and we as sinners associate with him. We're not ashamed of Jesus and what he's done for us. And there they lead him away and put a sign on the cross, the king of the Jews. And the soldiers there are fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy is the calling card of God, you know. It is proof, one of the many proofs that the Bible is true. Because only God can predict with 100% accuracy the things that happen before they happen. In Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25, it says, For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. The word that I speak will come to pass, God says. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, when we look back on the words of God, listen, blessed be the Lord God who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. That is not fa- there has not failed one word of his good promise. You need to hear that. There has not failed and neither will there ever be. There will not failed one word of his good promise. Not one. Not one. Some of you really think that God has failed you today that God's failed you. That you look back on your life and you wish things would have been different. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were looking at, on Father's Day, the significance of a dad in someone's life. And we learned, didn't we, that we live in a fatherless culture. And that has greatly damaged and wounded so many. Perhaps even some of you. Where you carry around these deep wounds because you had an imperfect father, a dysfunctional father, or some of you, your dad left you and abandoned you, turned his back on your family, 
and on his family and, and, and there you are carrying those wounds. You know, you kind of got over it and you've kind of got through it, but it's wounded and hurt you. And it's hard for you, very difficult for you to view God as a father. Or as we learned in that Bible study, we learned that the word that describes God, the word Abba, would be translated today as Daddy. And because you have an imperfect picture of fatherhood, and because you have not seen or experienced what you think other people, let, let me just say, no matter what our state and whatever, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, it was all of our families were imperfect. Every single one of ours. Sin has just messed everything up. And we all have had imperfect, but some of you more than others, and I realize that, you may want to pick up that study so the Holy Spirit can minister to you and encourage you that you have a Father in heaven that loves you. You have a Father in heaven that when he says, when he says something to you, when he promises something to you, your Father in heaven keeps his promises. Here's the problem. Here's an additional problem. God gives the promise right here, and then it gets fulfilled over here, and in between is all this space. We call that space time. (laughs) And what do we do during that time? We call that waiting on the Lord. So we expect the promise to be here, and then we'll get it right here. But that's often not the ways of the Lord. Psalm 22, Psalm 22 was written Hundreds of years before it happened. Hundreds of years. The soon return of Jesus Christ is given to us thousands of years. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus left, and it hasn't happened yet. Why? Because sometimes times are waiting like this, sometimes like this, sometimes it's like this, and sometimes it won't end until we're in the presence of the Lord. But I can assure you this. What God has promised will come to pass. I promise you. And he even promises to those that wait, your strength will be renewed, relationship will be enjoyed. So don't give up on God because maybe you give up on him. It's an amazing thing. I was, before first service, I was meeting, I was going around talking with people and greeting and praying with people and I met a guy. This is what he deals with. And we were able to talk just a little bit. This is what he deals with. You won't believe this, but it happened. It happens, it's in our church. This stuff happens. These are the people in our church. We were talking with him. He's, he's married. We were talking. With, you know, it's all small talk to start with. That's, if you come up and Ed's just small talk, believe me, I want to go deeper, and I will if you let me. But if we have to talk about your dogs, which we did, their little chihuahuas, if we need to talk about it's morning and I'm not awake, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get into your life. And they opened up. Our conversation literally was talking about their chihuahua dog that jumps on their bed and licks their face to wake them up in the morning. That's how it started. Welcome to Calvary. (laughs) But you know what he told me? He trusted me this much. He told me about a pain that he's been carrying in his life because his mom sold him as a baby for $50. And doesn't it make you wonder who you're sitting by today who's hurting and dealing with life? He's, carried, he's a grown man. He's probably, I didn't ask him his age, but he's probably in his 50s. And we're talking through it. You know, it wasn't a long time because service started, but praying with him and encouraging him. Listen, God loves you. And he demonstrated that, what we're reading right now. 
Jesus dying on the cross. He didn't just say it, he demonstrated it. He gave his best for you and me. All of us wrecked by sin, some to more degrees than others. I mean, I, I, I get emotional when I think about the faithfulness of God in my life because if he wouldn't intervene in my life, I would not be alive today. The road that I was on was not going to end well. It wasn't going to end well for me. It wasn't going to end well for the people that love me. It wasn't going to end well for my teenage girlfriend that, that gave us you know, our little baby in high school. It wasn't going to end well for anybody if God didn't intervene in my life and reveal to me his love. You know, the thing about love, the thing about love in my life was that I just, the hardest thing for me was I just couldn't believe that God would love someone like me. It wasn't anything about the behaviors. I knew all the behaviors were wrecking my life. It wasn't any pastor telling me, don't do this and don't do that. You don't need that because love leads you into all kinds of wonderful ways. But I just couldn't believe it. I said, as soon as he finds, you know, there's no way God knows all this stuff and, and, and half the stuff that people knew, they didn't know the other half. And there's just no way. And maybe that's you today. And the truth is, God knows more about you than even you know about you. And he loves you. <laughs> that's good news. That God would come down and reach down to us to forgive us of what? Our sins. What's wrecked and pushed us away from God. And you know, you know better than I do how far you are from God, how far you are from his love and his mercy. You know, when you think of mercy, you can't even define it because you've never experienced it. When I talk of the word grace, you don't even know what it means because you've never experienced it. When I speak of love, you have all kinds of a twisted view of love because you've never truly experienced the love of God. And the main reason why is you are unwilling to turn away from your sin. It's like, it's like the kids. You guys have your babies down in the nursery right now. Most of the, you know, in the early days of my walk, I served in the nursery. And some of your kids have supernatural strength. Because when they have a toy, and we say, okay, little Johnny, it's time to share their grip, man. It just, whoop. And you go to try to take it, and they go, whoom, and they're dragging you around the room. And it's like, no, I'm not giving this up. I'm not giving this up. And you're like, no, you're going to give it up. And now you're getting all mad at a two-year-old, and you're going to, and, you know, super. Oh, your kids are perfect. Never mind. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've met a lot of people who hold on so tightly to things that don't matter. The things that they just aren't going to last. You know as well as I do, you're, you have what you want and you're still not satisfied. You got what you wanted. And you're holding on to it. It's nobody's going to take it. No preacher boy's going to take it away. No church's going to take it away. Mom's not going to take it away. Nobody's taking it away. We're not asking to take it away. Take my hands off. God is not asking to take it away. He's asking you to lay it at the cross. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. But understand, as real as heaven is, hell is just as real. And if you choose to die in your sin, if that's your choice, then the consequence of that will be to live forever. I mean, if you choose to live forever without God now, 
What makes you think you're going to change your mind after you die? There's no second chances after you die. But there are plenty of chances right now while you hear my voice. The crucifixion and the death of Jesus is surrounded with intrigue and difficulty and, and yet freedom and strength. Jesus just, you know, right there on the cross, it says he's hanging between two people. One of them got saved. One of them responded to the love of God. Hanging on a cross, you think he only had maybe, let's say, 200 breaths left in his life. 200 breaths. And before he breathed his last breath, he exercised his faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, man. So don't give up on anyone. As long as there's a breath, there's hope. I was praying with a brother, a good friend, servant here many, many years. And uh, we've been praying for many months now about his sister uh, battling cancer, serious form of cancer. So I check in every once in a while, how are you doing? So I did that this morning. He was standing right next to me. I did that. I said, how's your sister Diane? And he said, she's not with us anymore. She died on Friday. And I said, I'm so sorry, bro. Because his greatest concern was her salvation. And this Bible study put it fresh on my mind. I was saying, well, look, bro, check this out. We don't know what Diane did or didn't do with God before she took her last breath. We don't know. We know how many times you spoke to her. We know how many times you planted seeds. We know how many gifts you gave her. We know all the resistance. But what I found to be true is that the more resistance, the closer a person is. <laughs> and I don't know what's resisting, what you're resisting today. But we're praying that God would, that, that your resistance would go down and you would accept the love of God into your life. And we'll pick up next time where we left off. So Father, we know what, we know what you're doing in this room. And I'm thankful for the power of your Holy Spirit that would reveal to us the beautiful gift of life that you give through death, which is very ironic and paradoxical that through death comes life. And so I pray right now as, a, as we're praying, God, that you would move upon those that don't know you personally. Just like your Bible says, you stand at the door and knock. And you're knocking on heart's doors, or even now, listening in on the radio, sitting in your car, in your kitchen, listening to it on, the, on your phone, you hear the voice of God. It's not my voice, it's his voice, it's inviting you to come. <clears throat> Here in this room or downstairs, as the church is praying for you, those of us that already ha have experienced salvation, we're praying for you, and we pray all week for you. That when the time comes and the invitation comes, that you would receive the forgiveness of your sins. So you're, God's not going to save you against your will. He's going to give you the opportunity to make your own, own choices. And so if you're here today and you say, Ed, I, I need to get my life right with God. Listen to me carefully. Because the invitation is to Jesus Christ. It's not to me or this church. The invitation, the invitation is not to get a whole list of sins that you have to get rid of in your life. The invitation is for you to come as you are. For do you acknowledge God in your life? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh yeah, you're going to have to deal with sin in your life. Of course. 
believers lie? Unbelievers lie, of course. We don't want to be liars. Break the ninth commandment. Of course you're going to deal with all kinds of things. That's the beautiful thing, though. You're going to find out just how weighed down your life has been. What you have called happiness has just been veiled misery. And sometimes it's only when you put your head on the pillow at night all by yourself that you finally admit that it's it's a pretty miserable life. And I'll tell you why. It's because you don't have a relationship with God. So if you're here today, you'd say, Ed, I'm ready and I, I want to follow God with my... Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Just wherever you are. I know you guys out on, on uh, media and stuff, I, don't, I can't see you, but God sees you. And if you're downstairs, you want to come up, you can, or you want to stay there, you can. But today's the day. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening. That's why the Bible study was directed right toward your heart. Not because of me, but God knew you would be here. He loves you that much. He's pursuing you. So if that's you, just let's respond. Why do we do it publicly? Because Jesus always called people publicly. Away with this private, my faith is private. It's not. It's public. So if you're here today, respond. Every single one of us have. I was sitting in the back row when this invitation came to me back in 1991. And I resisted it three times. Because I just couldn't believe that God would love me just fighting I'm a fighter by nature so just fighting the love of God but he is so patient with me even as he's patient with you is that you today we're waiting let us be a part of it allow us to be happy with you and rejoice stand up and make a public a public confession of your faith. God bless you. It was worth the wait. Anyone else? <clears throat> anyone else God bless you guys yeah we'll wait we'll wait God bless you God bless you over here I was so close to not waiting and may the Lord just forgive me for getting in his way who else would say that's you say that's me Ed that's me God bless you today's a day church keep praying there's a wrestling going on but there's great victory going on right now great victory in the faithfulness of God great victory in drawing people to himself listen confess with your mouth right now you can pray this prayer to God you can say God forgive me please of all of my sins I believe Jesus you live for me You died for me, and I believe you rose again from the dead and are alive right now, and I commit my life to you. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful habits 
I repent of my sins and help me to follow you all the days of my life. God, I know anyone sitting, standing, driving, laying in a hospital bed, sitting in a prison Bible study, anybody that prays and, and, and anyone that calls out to you, you, you say very clearly in the Bible, you will not throw them away. Or in another translation, you won't cast them out. So those that have obviously been touched today, I pray that it's real and not just emotional. I pray that they could accept your love and all the responsibilities that come with a relationship with you, that they can enjoy you, that you can heal them of their wounds, that, that you can develop in them a faith and a strength that they don't currently have. Pour out your Holy Spirit on, on them today, Lord, and on us as a church. Forgive us. Forgive us, God, for being hypocrites and forgive us for our lies and forgive us for our weaknesses, Lord, and our inability and unwillingness to depend upon your spirit, Lord. Your word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we pray that truth into our lives, Lord. It's not like we really want to do that, but there's a battle in our lives between the flesh and the spirit, God. So I just pray that there would be an encouragement flowing through us as we are coming face to face with our weaknesses, that we might leave here with joy, we might leave here with strength, and we might leave here with true freedom. As we go out to celebrate uh, our independence and our freedom as a country, Lord, we celebrate more our freedom from sin in our lives, our freedom to love you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.